This is Nullius in Verba, a podcast about science. What it is and what it could be. It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley. And me, Daniel Lagens from Eindhoven University of Technology. In today's episode, we will discuss the insatiable itch to publish, and we start with a quote from 1927 by sociologist Clarence Case on the dictum, publish or perish. We discuss ways in which individual goals to publish conflict with the broader scientific goal of producing useful knowledge. We also question the assumptions behind the notion that publishing less would be beneficial for science. We ask questions like, should one publish the least publishable units or publish fewer but better papers? And are some edges better than others? Enjoy. So because we don't really like new stuff, Uh uh, I'm going to read out a quote which is fashionably old. Mm -hmm. It's actually from 1927. It's a good year. Almost even too recent, I would say, but <laughs> acceptable, you know, less than a century ago, but acceptable. And uh, I'll read it out. The last part is the, the main thing. It's the first occurrence of something that's in the end of this quote uh, mm-hmm. in the scientific literature. But here we will go. Mm-hmm. The student of the history of sociological thought must necessarily be impressed with the fact that sociological writings have always tended to be more voluminous than valuable. And closer examination will suggest that this tendency is becoming more pronounced within the last few years. So far as quantity itself goes, the present period, beginning with 1921, is perhaps the most productive epoch in American sociology. But comparison of the product with that of the first decade of this century will reveal a much smaller percentage of notable works. If it be true that, for the time being at least, the quality of American sociological writing is in inverse ratio to its quantity, the reason is to be sought, among other things, in the fact, first, that the system of promotion used in our universities amounts to the warning Publish or perish. So this is a quote from almost a century ago. I think it could have been written today. Right. We wouldn't have noticed. We wouldn't have noticed. And do you think this is where the term publish or perish comes from? As far as I know, this is the first case. It's been mentioned by a sociologist, Clarence Case, Hmm. um, in a paper about... uh, the sociology of writing, basically academic writing. So it's quite a critical viewpoint. And I think there are a couple of topics relating to the topic of the episode that we wanted to discuss, which is the itch to write or (laughs) resisting the itch to write, Uh uh, which is the same point later by Merton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm surprised to see that this came up as early as 1927. It's not something I would have thought... Like, I thought it was a much more recent phenomena. Um, but but I, so, okay, so I guess, what do you think, what do you think has changed from 1927? 
or what might have changed from 1927, or it's the same. It's sort of the same reasons why people are trying to publish. Um, or do you think, has it gotten better or worse? Well, I think, first of all, I think that's one of the reasons why we like to read these old things. Because you always think it's gotten yeah. worse. When I was younger, things were better. <laughs> but then you read papers from 1927 and those people say it wasn't better. <laughs> we already had publish and perish uh, a, a century ago. So the question if it has gotten worse, I'm not completely sure. Probably every generation is worried about this publish or perish culture. I feel that they have to write. And probably in any every generation, there have been people who said, like in this quote, that there is a direct um, conflict between the quantity of our writing and the value of the writing that we do. So the more we write, the less valuable it is. The less we write, the higher the quality of our writing and the bigger our contributions might be. And do you think that exists at the individual level? Or at the discipline level are both, right? So like if one if you think about one person, if they're publishing fewer things, ideally, I mean, it should mean that they're what they're putting out is actually more valuable, right? So at the individual mm -hmm. level, but like we can also think of it as the whole discipline level, which is, oh yeah, if you have fewer publications in the field that are coming out, which means that mm -hmm. everybody else can pay more attention to the stuff that is coming out. So maybe it goes through, you know, just more rigorous sort of thinking and testing before being incorporated into knowledge, so at both levels. Yeah. So I feel that's indeed the two sides in this discussion. I don't think they've been pulled apart so nicely, but I think those two aspects are worth discussing. Mm. Um, and I think you can think about it. What is the causal mechanism here? Why should we be publishing less? What are the arguments? And one seems to be, if you publish less, the quality of your work will go up. Your individual writing will be better because, I don't know, you have only so much genius and if you spread it over <laughs> many papers, you have to put it in a couple of papers. So that's one thing. Right. But actually, most of the arguments in the literature seem to be more about the second thing. Like right. if, as a scientific discipline, we produce so much stuff, it becomes impossible to read everything, to integrate everything. So there's just too much and, and nothing of value sort of pops up because nobody reads anything. So it seems to be two slightly different mechanisms. Um, what do you think? Um, oh, yeah. I think, I mean, I think it. the tension between both of them is, of course, the tension between, you know, individual benefits versus collective benefits, mm -hmm. which we see in all the like other domains too, right? Like, I mean, climate change. Yeah, you could be living your life, you know, stop traveling by air, and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. give up all these personal benefits in order to maximize the benefit for the rest of humanity. But that's not humans are wired, right? So if mm -hmm. it is, you know, publications are the coin of the realm in academia, mm -hmm. and it, it, you know, so you have to balance that with, oh, I want to publish just so I can get, you know, another line on my CV, and that will increase my chances of getting a job. Um, so the motivation to publish a lot is clear, right? Yeah. The individual motivation. The individual motivation, yeah. And it's like, yeah, why should, you know, if everybody's doing it, why should you stop publishing? Because, right, like, like unless everybody's doing it, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's very hard to ask people, oh, give up this, you know, personal incentive for the benefit of, you know, some maybe vague benefit to the discipline. 
Yeah. Um, so this this second part is the interesting thing. So I mean, publishing less is clear. Many people have said it. Yeah. But what exactly are we gonna get out of this? So when I was thinking through this, which you know, it's nice that we say two weeks in advance we're gonna talk about this topic. Yeah. So we've been thinking about this, yeah. and and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, what are we actually getting if we publish less? Hmm. Um. I mean, first of all, I mean, we're making the assumption. Mm-hmm. that if people are publishing less that the stuff that they do publish will be higher quality and that's a Very big assu- that's a big assumption exactly right a- assumption one <laughs> we'll park it we'll come back to it assumption one you write less but it's going to be better okay assumption one it's mm-hmm. an assumption and we we don't know if it's justified so that's one um the second is i mean if um, there, i mean you do see just so much stuff being published you know mm-hmm. every day or there's all these you know emails yeah. coming in of like oh the one thing after the other um so it would make it easier to be able to stay on top of the literature you yeah. know like and yeah. if you're if you're talking only about your sort of subdiscipline it would be much easier to know what's going on and sort of keep yeah. your you know finger on the pulse you know so to speak um yeah. that's see that yeah. does seem like a benefit if if there were just more stuff you know more, yeah, more junk think, to sift through. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's a good summary. So I feel that those are the two things we're going to get out of publishing less. So the stuff we do is better. And the second thing is easier to keep up to date with everything. And that's necessary. So it's also necessary to keep up to date with everything because otherwise we just keep repeating things. That's what people write about. Um, also Merton in his paper on the Matthew effect where the itch to publish quote that you found comes from he, yeah he also says yeah it's just difficult to keep up to date about everything right so those are the two benefits we're trying to get by publishing less yeah maybe before we evaluate both of these assumptions i actually wanted to ask you a, a more basic question mm-hmm. why do we publish i mean academics are in the business of generating knowledge um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you're doing. If you're a historian or you're a scientist or you're a sociologist, you're, you're essentially generating knowledge, right? And, and the way to communicate mm-hmm. knowledge is to, yeah, write it down and then share it with people and get it out there. Um, mm-hmm. So it is sort of the, well, I mean, it's what you're supposed to do, right? Just put your ideas out there. We, we do, I mean, we're getting paid to generate ideas, to think. The only reason to do that is to, yeah, generate knowledge that's useful and then disseminate it because what use would it be, you know? So every paper that you write contains useful knowledge for other people that they should be informed about. I mean, I think ideally that should be the case, but I don't that I don't think that is what it is in practice. But if you're if we're talking sort of in the abstract about what why we publish, I think yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we can take a look whether both of these assumptions that we just said, whether those are in line with this, actually, right? That every yeah. piece of information has useful knowledge in some way. Mm-hmm. But okay. what, what would you say if, if I were to ask you the question? Why, why do you think we publish? A very honest answer to this is because we think we have to publish. So the publishing is often the goal, mm. right? So why do we publish? It's because... Um, that's what we need to do to, for example, get your PhD. So yesterday I was having some drinks after work with a couple of PhD students. One is visiting from Denmark and we, you know, talked about what's necessary in Denmark to get a PhD. He said, well, I have to make, I have to write three articles. 
one of which has to be single authored. Mm-hmm. I found nice. that actually yeah. interesting. That can all be published. Mm-hmm. So that was the goal. The goal was to produce three publishable units and then you can get your PhD and getting the PhD was the goal. And do you think that people use publishable here as a proxy for useful things or important things or like stuff that's good quality? Like, mm-hmm. is it just often, I mean, I can, I can see how that kind of gets lost eventually, right? Things sort of lose. Mm-hmm. So now it just becomes, publishing becomes a thing that you're running towards. But do you think mm-hmm. at least for some, it might just be a proxy of, oh, it's good quality stuff, right? To, mm-hmm. to be publishable means, oh yeah, it's, it's good quality that we would want to put, you know, like an article yeah. that you would want to publish in the New York Times. The, 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 implica- the assumption is that, oh, it's been vetted and it's good quality. I think um, that's sort of the, the idea behind it. That's why they want to right. have some sort of threshold you need to meet. Um, but I think there's a difference in practice because something can be publishable for many reasons, right? You can do quite, you know, I, I think meaningless studies yeah. that are publishable. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you my own experience in this. So I, when I was a, a postdoc, um, and it was just starting at the department that I work now. Mm-hmm. I think I was very much in a mindset of, can I get something published? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't very much in the mindset of, is this a piece of knowledge mm-hmm. that other people will find interesting? And yeah. I remember having a conversation with a colleague who was close to retirement. Yeah. And, and we discussed our research. And I said, yeah, yeah, so I'm working on this paper. And I think I think I can get this published. And I was just starting out. And then this guy said, the question is not if you can get it published. The question is, can you do it in any better way than you've done? And and if you can't do it in any better way than you've done, then you submit it for publication. Nice. So basically, you have a question, you want to answer it, you can't think of any better way to answer it, then you are done. And that's more in line with this, okay, I've generated a piece of useful knowledge. Yeah. It's done. It's not publishable. It is actually done. done. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I think that's a great way to look at it. But I, he seems like he might be an outlier. Like, I, I do, I'm not sure how many people think that way, which is kind of sad. I mean, what you're talking about earlier, the, what your orientation was in education, apparently they call them LPUs. Have you heard that? Mm. Least pu- mm. least publishable units. <laughs> like, what's the yeah. smallest like publishable thing that we could get out of it? Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I mean, it it seems, and I do think that it does a disservice even to yourself because somebody that I knew in the philosophy department said that oh, there's so much stuff out there, and so much of it is just like work from. PhD students that it's just not ready for being out there, you know, it's like there's something there like it's but but they need to like sit and think through it a lot more before it's ready to be out there. Um, And so it's it's a disservice even to your own self, because if you're just publishing, you know, in this piecemeal fashion that you're, you know, you lose that sort of roundedness you would have gotten if you just given it more time and thought about it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so so I think this is interesting, and I do have a sort of devil's advocate point nice. here. Uh-huh. But but before we get to that, um, first of all, we don't really give people any other option because their PhD is a limited amount of time. Right. So necessarily, the product that they will deliver, especially if we say you have to have three of those 
uh, units. Yeah. yeah, it's time limited. So it's what you get, you know, given the time that they have. Right. And and when I was a PhD, we used to talk about it like this. You know, we said, look, this, it's not the best you can do. It the, It's the best that you can do within the time that you have, mm. you know? Yeah. So, but um, given that reality, even, I wanted to, yeah, maybe play a bit of a devil's advocate because that's our, our thing that we try to do, at least in the beginning. Um Maybe it's not that bad. So it's true. You, what you say is true. We have papers. You read them. You're like, this is clearly the work of a PhD student who was mm-hmm. time pressured, not mm-hmm. somebody who took how, however long they needed to get it right. But this yeah. was done basically because of time limitations. I think sometimes this can actually be very useful to write up, mm. first of all. Mm-hmm. And I think also after you've written it up, it might also be a good time to publish it. So writing it up is actually, I think, part of the process through which you figure stuff out and understand it, at least when I write, yeah. you know? No, you're, you're absolutely right, yeah. So it's not that we have an alternative way to get to this point of understanding. Mm. I think I don't have it. I have it mm. through writing a lot of the time. And, and then feedback from other people and discussion and crystallizing the point up to a point where you're like, okay. Does that sound reasonable? Oh, yeah, very, very reasonable. And I think you're absolutely correct that, you know, I mean, writing is thinking. It's mm-hmm. very, it's, yeah, there's some things that are just very hard to, or like, yeah, you're able to sort of, once, you, once you're trying to put things in on paper, it also like, you know, shows you, oh, I really don't have this argument, you know, in mm-hmm. line. This really just does not make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is definitely true. Like getting getting things on paper is a very, very useful exercise in just thinking about things carefully and deeply. Yeah. So I completely yeah. agree with that. Now, whether yeah. everything you write needs to, you know, be published, that is a different question, you know. Yeah, so so then that's the question, right? So yeah. maybe the PhD should just be writing and then thinking, and then we say, oh, very nice, but now not, don't share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's sort of like this commentary paper that Carol Dweck wrote recently, um, well, some a couple of years ago, and she said that when, back when she was doing a PhD, it was actually looked down upon to publish. Mm-hmm. I think I've yeah, told you this before. Like really? that, that, yeah. yeah, it was, yeah, that it was sort of looked down upon for PhDs to publish too early. It was sort of <laughs> seen as a sign of, um, you know, not, not thinking carefully enough about what you were doing. So it was sort of looked down upon if they published like way too early mm-hmm. during their PhD. And I told it to, I was having a meeting and I told this to like two, like these senior a- academics in our department. And one mm-hmm. of, one of the, one of the ones who's sort of a very senior in our department just, just went, but how old is she? She's even older than I am. Like, when did she do her PhD? <laughs> like, this is even before my time. So things have changed now. <laughs> and and apparently it was already in, in 1927. So I'm not right. even sure how widespread that feeling was. Right. Maybe you were in a place where this was the norm. But then I don't think that was as universal. True, true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think the question about whether PhDs, because you could think of it, and that's something that I sort of struggle with sometimes because I'm like, oh, do I think of this? Because there's a difference between, or maybe there, I I would be curious to hear what you think, but the difference between sort of learning and performing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so I sometimes wonder to myself, am I, is this just me training um, to do something? And and I do think I approach those differently than, oh, oh, this is my training phase. I'm just learning how to do things versus, you know, oh, this is me performing. Now I have to actually do something that is worth public consumption and i you know it to me those feel just like slightly different and maybe that's 
wrong on my part, but it does feel like, oh, right? Like, oh, it's like, oh, now if I'm in my training phase and now I'm, you know, making Mm -hmm. mistakes and doing things like just, you know, learning trial by error, like now I have to share this with everybody as if it was Mm -hmm. meant to be for public consumption, right? It seems like a little bit of a different approach, but maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Well, there's a difference. So the writing process and where you're learning certain things about it, if we say that's a necessary component, Mm -hmm. then we basically end up with a written end result. Right. Right? We have a written end result. And now we have to go back to this first assumption. So this first assumption Mm. is it is actually worthwhile to invest more time in this process so that you will Mm -hmm. publish something that's better compared to, I don't know, splitting the time in, in half and writing two individual products. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, and I think this assumption could hold if we knew perfectly well that the thing we were working on had this higher value, right? So if you know that this is going to yield a very valuable end result, it's worth hanging in there for a bit and then getting it out there. And it also requires that everybody who reads your end result appreciates it for what it is. And I think both these things are much more uncertain than we think, Mm. which is the reason that it might be a good idea to publish things a little bit early when they're a little bit messy. Sometimes you write a paper and you think it's a cool thing, you put it out and everybody is upset about something else, whatever. (laughs) There's a chat GPT thing uh, coming out. I mean, we're not going to discuss any modern developments until they're 100 years old. Right, exactly, yeah. (laughs) But something happens at a certain time and your perfect paper that you spend twice as much attention on, it just falls flat, you know? Nobody picks it up. Everybody's busy with this other thing. And I feel that this happens throughout history. There's just a couple of times where the same thing happens, but it doesn't get picked up. It was great, but it didn't get picked up. Mm. So that's one one it's like there. timing and luck um, plays a part. Yeah, timing. So you put your paper out and, you know, sometimes, I mean, I rarely do anything novel in, in my work. What I mainly do is I repeat things that people have said 20 years ago, but that nobody picked up. For example, I've published on equivalence testing. Mm-hmm. This is an ID 50 years old. It has nothing to do with me. I didn't invent it. I just summarized it and maybe made it a bit more applicable for psychologists, but that's my contribution. And people have done this every decade in the last half century. Now, for some reason, it's picking up. Hmm. I couldn't know that it was going to be popular this time around, right? Hmm. And if I would have known it was this popular, this specific paper... I would have spent twice as long on it, but I didn't Mm. because I thought, okay, I've worked it out for a couple of tests in this paper, you know, a couple of basics tests. Sure, I could have spent some more time, made some code for other tests, but maybe nobody wants to use it, Mm. right? So so I thought, okay, this is nice. It didn't feel like a least publishable unit. It was decent, but, you know, I could have gone on, but I thought, well, let's put it out there. Let's see if people even like it. Yeah. So then the question, Daniel, is, is the goal to publish then to get as many eyes on it as possible? Like, is that what we should be thinking about? Oh, I mean, would you consider a paper like, oh, is it a bad thing that it doesn't get picked up, quote unquote? So, yeah, that's I think that's an interesting question, right? That's an interesting question because um, and and throughout 
the podcasts, we've talked about this interaction between the social aspect and the knowledge aspect. Mm -hmm. If we ignore the social aspect, I think you're probably right. It's just counts that it's a valuable knowledge unit and it was very good. You put it out. Who cares that it yeah. got picked up at this time or not? But it is a social process. And, and maybe for the social process, you could make an argument where you say, yeah, maybe you want to test the waters a little bit, you know, just mm. put put the initial idea out. And if nobody cares, even though you thought it was great, yeah, maybe invest this second half of the time that you had left. Mm. Maybe, maybe do a slightly variation or different thing or you know, try it in a different way um, or give it up and try something else. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this might be the reason that I am a bit more sympathetic to putting that first thing out there, of course, with the understanding that we have a system where we put out stuff that's not the real final gem, but like the initial first attempt. Yeah. So two questions then for you, Daniel. First is how, like we talked about the Matthew effect and eminence in an earlier mm -hmm. episode, right? And the second, well, that's not a full question, but the other thing that I was thinking of is how much of a role just publicizing your results might, or public publicizing your papers or mm -hmm. your work um, plays into that, right? Because I can imagine some people, I mean, they will write Twitter feds or they will, you know, go to more conferences mm -hmm. and just like share their work, which does seem like it is an important part of the research process, right? But mm -hmm. how much role does it play of you, you know, either yeah, going out and publicizing your work and also the fact that, oh, yeah, if you're already a famous person, then your mm -hmm. work is more likely to get, right? Like if you were somebody else, even though the time might have been ripe, if you weren't mm -hmm. Daniel Lawkins, maybe nobody would pick up your paper on equivalence <laughs> testing, right? It's an interesting question. I mean, I definitely have papers that uh, people could cite much more than they are doing now. So, I mean, you know, if you want some list of suggestions, I can give it. No, so it's not like everything I put out magically works. Actually, not at all. Mm. So even within my subset of papers I publish, sometimes I like, look, this is really useful. This should have been used much more mm. than it has been picked up. So I can, you know, not everything is equally successful. And actually, it is surprising to me sometimes what ends up being picked up at a specific time. Uh, just as a matter of comparison, um, I have also published a paper on sequential analysis. Mm -hmm. So this is the practice where you can look at the data, you do a test, you control the alpha level, and then you can continue data collection. So it's like the right way to do what we used to call optional stopping, which is right. bad because you inflate the type of error rate. It's the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. From the papers, from the both these papers, the equivalence testing papers are much later. They're cited many, many more times. Mm. The other papers also cited well, but it's not as popular as I would have thought because I was really like, wow, this makes you so much more efficient sequential analysis. It's done in all medical trials. I just thought we have to embrace this. This is going to be so popular. It's it's popular, but not as popular as I would have thought. Mm. So I can also not predict which things work. And actually, I've spent now also more time on equivalence testing than on sequential analysis because I thought, okay, apparently people do care more about equivalence testing. So let's think more about things relevant for this line. For mm. example, how do I think about which effect sizes matter? If the if it was the other way around, I would have probably followed up the sequential analysis paper with mm. questions that are specific for this. So yeah, I think that's a little bit how it works. And, uh, and it is especially when you're a PhD and you're just trying to get your papers out and publish, it's very hard to resist. I mean, you know, how do you resist that? 
it almost requires like a, a really big belief in that what you're doing is going to be so impactful and valuable. Right. I would say almost unrealistic belief or let's say you're really betting that it will be impactful. And then you can have this strategy. You're like, no, I'm going to sit down, work four years on this one paper and it's going to change the field. <laughs> you right. know, great, great. If that works, it's great. It's a risky strategy. It is a risky strategy. So this is from, um, I do want to read, I mean, this is not as old mm. as 1927, but from the Matthew <laughs> Effect, um, the section mm. that um, um, that I read that talked about this, I thought was quite interesting. He said, finally, this character structure and an acquired set of high standards often lead these outstanding scientists to discriminate between work that is worth publishing and that which, in their candid judgment, is best left unpublished, though it could easily find its way into print. Um, the laureates and other scientists of stature often report scraping research papers that simply did not measure up to their own demanding standards or to those of their colleagues. Um, and then he mentions this little anecdote, which I thought was kind of nice. He said, um, Seymour Benzer, for example, tells of how he was saved from going down the biochemical drain. Um, hmm. Dilbrick saved me, he says, when he wrote to my wife to tell me to stop writing so many papers, and I did stop. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine a time when somebody's writing to your significant other like hey tell them to stop <laughs> tell them to write stop all these papers <laughs> yeah it's 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 very funny i mean so so first of all this sounds so good you know right. this sounds like the movie version of the scientist and that makes me immediately question question the generality <laughs> of it i mean this sounds too good too nice so that's one thing. The second thing is in our uh, episode on eminence, mm -hmm. we we learned <laughs> that the eminent scientists do exactly the opposite. They publish like crazy. They have huge number of publications. They're also cited like crazy. But um, there, were, there were, I think, no scientists uh, eminent in psychology. Mm -hmm. It might be different in other fields, actually, but not in psychology where it was just these three papers and that made their career and that's all they published. No, mm. no. These people have published a huge number of papers, all of them. Um, I, I don't say that's good, but apparently that is now the more common thing. And I wonder if, I mean, the difference between psychology and other, you know, for example, if you proved a mathematics, right? If there was some, yeah. you know, equation that needed solving and you did it, it wouldn't matter if you'd published anything before or after or you never do anything else, right? That would be a contribution worth celebrating yeah. in and of itself. Whereas the, I don't think that's ever true in our discipline, right? There's not like you could do something where it's it's totally clear, oh yeah, this was this is a great addition to our understanding and it needs to be, you know. This is a very good point. I think a very important point. It ties back to what I just mentioned where you have to test the waters in our right. field. You yeah. have to put it out and see, is this what people care about? Right. Because it's not so clear what the important questions are in our field. And if there was, let's say, a 50-year old mathematical challenge that nobody has solved uh -huh. and you're the person to solve it, boom, you're done. Right. You don't have to convince anybody of the importance of it. Everybody knew it was a 50-year-old challenge. Right. Well, we don't have those kind of open questions. So very often we just have, hey, does anybody even care about the little thing that I'm doing here? Oh, they do seem to care. Okay, I'm going to go on. Yeah. yeah. And the issue with that, of course, then is that then you're sort of orienting what you're doing towards what people would want to see or what people, mm -hmm. what what the other others around you are think is important, which 
You know, like in politics, sometimes you think that, oh, there's the things that people want and then there's things that people need and those don't have to be, you know, one to one. You could you could be totally, you know, you could want one thing, but it probably isn't the right thing for you. So, who, you know, how do we decide mm-hmm. what, you know, if, if that's sort of the North Star that we're following? Oh, like, what is everybody in the discipline interested in? I mean, that could that could lead people in the wrong direction. I mean, we do see it sometimes, right? The the hyper focus on certain topics and ideas in a way that might not be beneficial for like knowledge generation, right? If we're Mm -hmm. following that versus the truth or trying to, you know, go down some line of research that maybe isn't as flashy and sexy and nobody really cares, but you still think it's important. Um, Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. I mean, we do have these hypes in psychology. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what the next hype is going to be. And I also think that sometimes there is a hype, but it's another hype. It's not your thing. And then, you know, yeah, you can't win from the hype at this moment, maybe. I mean, you know, it's a bit black and white, but I mean, you get the idea. It's never so extreme. Always some people read it. but So it requires real dedication to ignore all of this and say, I'm going to sit down and write this thing, Um, which I do think some people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely a luxury you give yourself after tenure, I have to feel. Mm, right. You know, the, I, I have these papers. Like, I have these papers that have been in, in my Word folder for like <laughs> six years. You know, yeah. six years. And they've gone into like, you know, 80 pages of stuff, of notes. And I know that one day I'll go through and make an article out of it when I really, really understand it. And I have nothing else to add. I mean, I do have those papers, you nice. know. Uh-huh. Um uh, or I should say, maybe I hope to write those papers. I'm not even sure if they have them, <laughs> but I have the hope that I'll write one. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so this is one thing. So testing the water assumption one basically is you know we put the paper out, people will value it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a knowledge unit that's worth it. Let, can we take a look at the second thing? So the second assumption was, if we publish a lot of stuff, the whole literature gets so diluted, mm-hmm. we can't keep up. We don't read. There's no, you know, accumulation of facts because nobody is up to date about everything. What do mm-hmm. you think about that one? Well, I, I kind of feel like I agree with that sentiment. Um, I definitely mm-hmm. feel like there's too much stuff that comes out all the time. And it I is... agree, but, but especially by other people, they should really stop. I should <laughs> really get their all, all their partners' email addresses and send them emails saying, yeah, hey, stop, saying, all of you, stop, stop. it. <laughs> yeah. And this is where I think it becomes tricky because I do think that insofar as you are, you know, really deep into your line of research and you're public, you know, you're producing sort of information, you're doing good work and you're producing, you know, even maybe smaller bits of knowledge, but there are, no, you know, pieces mm-hmm. of knowledge nonetheless. I think it's totally valid to try to get it, get them out. And you're like, oh, these are ideas worth sharing with people and they could benefit, you know, the discipline or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I think there is definitely, if the system worked well, then I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But what you, you you often see like a lot of the stuff where people are publishing, you know, one-off effects one after the other. This happens a lot, mm-hmm. I think, in social psychology is like, you see people's CV and it's like, there's no coherent line that they're following. Um yeah. It's mostly just a one effect here, one effect there, and then it just never gets touched on after that. So you're just sort of diluting too much jingle jangle. You're calling the same thing by some other name. Somebody would have published on it, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You're not paying attention to that. You're repackaging it, putting it out. So now you're just making a mess of, you know, just too much confusion that happens. 
then you end up with stuff like, I mean, what happened in our discipline during the pandemic was just so disappointing to me, Daniel, because it's, mm-hmm. first of all, you saw all of these people that suddenly are like experts on COVID. I'm like, where's this coming from? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think that does mean that people who might have had some useful things to say that might have been studying it from earlier, right? They don't get a voice because Mm -hmm. now you're putting this chunk out in the literature, you who should have no expertise on this. And, Mm. and, right, like you're trying to say something. And I, I I get the sentiment of like, yeah, there's this big thing happening. One of the most important things we could have done in the beginning was managing social interaction, right? Just limiting our social interaction, which is something that, you would think social psychologists would have. So I, I totally get this instinct to want to publish on it. But, you know, like, and that's where I think really the itch to publish, people should have really tried to limit it, right? Because it yeah. was such a crucial moment for the whole world. And you had papers coming out. I remember one journal club, we read a paper about people saying that people are, that others are not social distancing because they don't understand exponential curves, like exponential hmm. and i'm like really that's your solution <laughs> to the problem like let's teach people some math right i mean just useless stuff that hmm. you know it's like you should have thought a little bit more about putting stuff out there like and i totally get the itch would have been you know sort of very uncomfortable i can see how you would want to contribute but i'm like people should have really tried to limit it then yeah, yeah. it's a very very good example um and i was thinking what is the itch to publish? When do you have the itch to publish? I actually, I had another category, but uh, uh-huh. that, that wasn't that good. But I think this is a nice example of the itch to publish because something happens and everybody feels like, oh, I have to write something about yeah. this. And now, I mean, I can just imagine if people are writing them themselves or not, but like AI and, you know, chat GPT and stuff, people are writing papers about this immediately. That's an right. itch to publish. So mm. it's like following this, a little bit this hype, but also like, oh, but I have something to say about this. I think I have something to say about this. You didn't really think about it more than two months because two months ago, the whole thing wasn't even <laughs> launched. So, you know, you didn't really take deep dive into the topic. Yeah. And what you point out is really interesting. There are some people right. in the perfect place now because this is actually what they thought about right. for the last seven years. They knew something like this was going to happen sooner or later. Now it's here and now we should all resist the itch to publish except for those people they should be visible but they might be drowned out Mm. exactly Mm. yeah 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 that's a very good example and um so here the problem i think is a coordination problem right Mm. we don't point to the people who are now in the right place we say okay who are we gonna push forward as a field to take this on Um, Mm. and maybe help them a little bit if they need help with data collection but who are the people no everybody just does their own thing Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you get a lot of papers. So there's no coordination in the output and you get a lot of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I'll briefly mention this other category that I had to think about mm-hmm. for the itch to publish and that's commentary articles mm. or sort of opinion pieces in general. Opinion pieces, commentary articles are very often also opinion pieces. So not empirical commentary articles, they exist. but And there I do feel this itch to publish. So <laughs> somebody can write something and then I think, oh, oh dear, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, and now I have to tell you that you're wrong. Mm, and, and I have actually some, some commentary articles like this. You know, uh. I mean, uh, uh, it really, if you write a paper uh, saying that p-values are evil or that people should use <laughs> some sort of alternative to p-values, and I look at it and I'm like, no, this is just much, much, much worse. And you should know that it's much worse. Or this doesn't even make logical sense what you're proposing here. Mm. Then 
yeah, I have that Word document open before I know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> I'm start typing away. And do you have any other types of itches you're thinking about? I mean, I I may have turned very cynical <laughs> in the past couple of years, but I definitely think that for most people, the itch is simply personal achievement, right? I think mm. it's if you think of publication as this thing that you're trying to achieve, and I do think people think of it as, right, like you have these yeah. tweets, people putting out my first, you know, first author publication and like, yay, I just submitted it. And I, and I, I mean, it's totally yeah. valid, right? It's totally valid to think of that. Oh, yeah, if that's the goal... And this is sort of considered this sort of, yeah, achievement in the field Then I can see yeah. how. For I think for most people, it's simply that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Performing, yeah. basically. Per performing, getting, getting exactly. Getting the reward. Exactly, yeah. Is, is that too but cynical? Do, <laughs> yeah, well, no, I don't think it's too cynical. I think the itch, so maybe we're overanalyzing what Milton uh, means mm. with an itch. But I feel the itch comes from... Like it's a thing you need to scratch, right? You it's really an itch need, to, you need yeah. to scratch. It's something where you cannot stop yourself, right? That's mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. what an itch would be. Like it's yeah, the sort exactly. of in, insatiable sort of you know need to do something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Although that could be that it could be true that people just need to feel the hype of other people saying, "Oh, you have another paper, well done." I mean, that's the itch they need to scratch, basically. Yeah, getting like the social validation. Social validation, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and another one is just getting published. So I think for many people, the first paper. Mm -hmm. Being part of the scientific literature is a mm. huge itch. People are just like, I want now to I'm part be of the field. Yeah, mm -hmm. I want to be a published author. Mm. So that's definitely also an itch. Yeah. And I think also, yeah, a lot of stuff is just it's fun. There are all these other reasons to write something. Um, <laughs> but I thought we hmm. agreed we shouldn't be doing science for fun. Like, <laughs> no, I mean not according to Bacon, but people will. <laughs> not according to Bacon, but yeah. people do do it. Yeah. So we didn't discuss it, but I think the motivation that writing a paper is just fun. The collaboration is just fun. Mm. Mm. Like, it's a very good thing to do. I mean, I definitely, like, I'm now uh, at a place where, uh, uh, I mean, just in this year, I yeah. did some teaching and stuff. I have some free time. I have some free time. And I yeah. feel the itch. I already talked to somebody. I'm like, hey. So, uh, and this person just said, Daniel, I think, you know, you wrote this paper. I think what's in that paper, I think there's something wrong with this argument in this paper. I think, um, and it's a very fundamental point, sort of like a philosophical point. And um, yeah, I think you're wrong about this. And I just look forward to debating this with this person. I don't care who's right. Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm right. Um, but this process will mm. just be fun. I know it's going to be fun if we write a paper about this. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to give yourself a little fun. Yeah. See, like I said, it's like making movies, right? Why do we make movies? Just because it's fun, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure the process is fun. It's fun to create things with other people and be creative. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's yeah. also a that that might be a good itch to yeah, to want to publish. Itch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should just More mark it. We mark it. So we publish the paper. We say, hey, first sentence. This is this is just a fun paper. <laughs> So if you can stop reading. We had the fun. That was the goal. I mean, if you keep reading, okay, maybe. But we had fun. That's the main thing. <laughs> that was the point. Yeah. Uh, huh. Mission accomplished. Yeah. But anyway, that's really a, an area where I feel this itch. itch to you know? publish. Yeah. No, that's a very good area, I think, also. And and probably more common. You know, I mean, the pandemic is such a unique case, right? Stuff like that really happens. No, I think you're probably right that, I mean, this is a, a huge example. Right. I mean, it is a, because there's so much stuff and you literally like 
nobody can read all this stuff. Right. The number of papers that have come out on this topic in such a short amount of time. It's just, I mean, it's... so even the people in this field, I feel they cannot keep up with what everybody else is publishing. No. So probably everybody is writing their papers. And I wonder what's going to happen in terms of integration. Actually, it was interesting that even at the start of this, some people wrote, hey, you know, there have been previous outbreaks of viruses like the mm. Ebola outbreak. Mm. Maybe you want to start by reading the literature mm. we already have about what we did about the Ebola outbreak. And I don't think that even happened. People just got started and did new studies. So so yeah. I, I think there will be no integration and no knowledge building. I wonder. I mean, maybe maybe it's better, but... Mm. Yeah, no, and it does seem like a problem. I think I shared this paper with you that I actually quite like, which is by this academic at the University of Amsterdam, which says, you know, publish less, read more. And that is mm -hmm. that is a sentiment I definitely think we should try to, you know, promote a little bit more. This idea that there's stuff that's happened before um, and people just don't are, are not paying attention. Or even I think it even shows up, not even in, like in time-wise, but also like Laterally, like you have other disciplines that are working on similar issues, but they're maybe calling it something different or mm -hmm. they're talking about it slightly differently. And so you don't see that, oh, there's yeah. stuff already out there that, you know, you can probably either learn from which will improve your own hypotheses and will, you know, lead you to do better research. But if you're not reading that stuff. Yeah, you're right. And um, just to uh, point it out, so this is a paper by Hans uh, Puff. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't know how to say his name. Psychology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, titled Publish Less, uh, Read More. Mm -hmm. And and that's really getting to this second point that we're talking about. Right. So the, yeah, if everybody publishes too much, we don't integrate, we don't read. So yeah, there I do feel there is a problem. And what you mentioned in the beginning, the social dilemma of it mm -hmm. really plays a role there because it's very difficult to counteract uh, if we just follow our individual best interests. So that... That I do feel is a uh, reasonable sort of complaint. I do think that most of the arguments I actually see in the literature are a little bit more about this magical way that if we just publish less, everything we'll do has higher quality magically. And that part, I, I thinking about it, I'm a bit more skeptical about now. Not 100% sure if that's actually true. But how about, I mean, imagine we, I mean, once we're, you know, ruling the world, we'll be like, everybody gets one paper a year, right? You get mm -hmm. one paper a year <laughs> and that's it, you know? Don't you yeah. think that that would lead to better papers? So this is interesting because um, some people actually explicitly say this as an uh -huh. example. Uh -huh. And I also have a colleague who says this. Like, mm. should just publish one paper a year. And, um, well, if I go through my publications, I'm not 100% sure if I can limit it to one paper a year mm. uh, that I would pick. And it's not because I write so many genius contributions to science every year. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, um, um, and, and I definitely don't, far <sighs> from. But I do think that there is more than one paper that has some value. And, and the value is just smaller. So I, I think we shouldn't pretend that everybody is going to write these papers that will change the field. There's all sorts of stuff that needs to happen. I don't disagree with you, but imagine, right, instead of like these, one study that looked at one piece, one study that looked at another piece, one study that looked at a third piece, instead of publishing all mm. three separately, you would just put them together. Or even in, you know, if you're doing something in sort of meta science or some disciplines where you're not doing empirical work, 
I mean, then I can、mm-hmm. totally see if you're trying to take stuff that's in sort of the same domain and trying to synthesize it a little bit better. So it's not that you're putting less information out,、um, mm-hmm. that it's maybe developed, you know, more cohesively, and you're putting it out in that. That could be an alternative. Yeah. So you're not putting less out, but you're putting it out together at the、yes. same time. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, we have a bit of a second order problem. So the second order problem is, I mean, who says that this is good enough? Maybe you should just, you know, work for forty years and publish a meta analysis of forty <laughs> studies. I mean, you know, yeah, sure, you can always do more, put more in a paper. That's true. Yeah. So, so I really want to see those papers where you're really like, this is not enough. This is just not interesting enough. And I,、mm. I don't think so because that would mean that all these papers, you know, they would also get zero citations. That's not true. So, so I think the value component of these studies it could be better sometimes. Definitely, you know, you definitely have people who try to publish a paper. There are so many limitations.、Mm. You're like, come on, run a second study or make sure that you know address some of them. But then they just keep trying other other journals, and eventually it will get out somewhere. And then you're like, yeah, is this something to be proud of? So that happens, and those are, I think, there I agree. That's not a That's the least publishable unit, but not a knowledge unit worth sharing. Sometimes that's true. Yeah. No. And how much? I mean, I I don't know if this is true everywhere, but I definitely think that. I mean, at Berkeley, it seems like there's a pressure not just to publish, but to publish in good journals. So、mm. that seems to be like an important goal of like you know you should try to publish in the best journals you can, and yeah, part of it I I do. You do have to, or at least I'm, you know, sort of a little bit also aware of the fact that the moment you have something like UC Berkeley after your name, or you know Stanford, or something like that, it、mm. does, I think, affect people's opinion of your work. You、mm. know, I'm not saying very consciously, but it, and so to me, it almost feels like a little bit of a responsibility, right? If somebody's going to use these heuristics、mm. as as a proxy for, you know, judging quality, then shouldn't we be a little bit more careful? Right, and、mm. the, the t- same can go for you. You know, people who are just eminent and have more weight now at- attached to their name, right?、Mm. Shouldn't we be、mm. a little bit more careful? Because inevitably, people are not going to read things as carefully as they would if it was just some random person out of nowhere, right? Like, like it will color th- their opinion a little bit in in our favor, I think. And I could be wrong, but I do、mm. think that that probably does happen. So it feels like, oh, shouldn't we we be, you know? Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm 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 nobody, so maybe I shouldn't be careful. But other people who, sh- you know,、um, are at these big universities or are just famous in some way, there should be a bit more of this. Like, oh yeah, it's going to get evaluated maybe a little bit more positively, and we should be a little bit more careful about. Could be.、Um, yeah. I think some papers have specific goals. I mean, I can write a paper that says this is a preliminary study. Looking at X, and sometimes I will I will publish a paper like this because I'm in a project that ends. You know, I don't have to do a PhD anymore, but I still have projects. Like I'm working in a interdisciplinary project with a bunch of people. We will write up the results, but we also have a very clear deadline of when the funding stops, and then、mm. yeah, we have to round things up before then. And that pa- that paper would probably benefit from another seven years. Of、wow. looking at the research question, you know, I think this、mm-hmm. is an interdisciplinary project. Takes a long time to start up. You figure out where what's what, yeah, and, and then three years. We had three years. It's a lot of time.、Mm-hmm. But even then, for a project like this, it's not a lot of time to really get far. But we will share what we have because it's the end.、Um, the alternative is to have 
huge amounts of funding for a very long time. So the scientific system would definitely need to change. Maybe even up to the point where you say, look, this is your PhD. Thank you for all the work. Uh, PhD number two is taking over from here. And after seven years, we'll publish this great line of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one interesting thing about these good papers, like good journals, mm-hmm. um, there are some examples of journals that really raise the bar in terms of this and force people to really collect quality. So they will not take single study papers, for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and journals who manage to convince people to pursue publication in that nice journal and then do these three or four studies. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. So that's one way where the system has managed to counteract this individual tendency to want to publish least publishable units, to make it actually more attractive to publish one paper, everything together, Mm. because now the prestige of the journal uh, counteracts the reward structure and makes it Mm. more valuable to do this. So that's actually something that those journals, we should actually kind of grateful to these journals that they managed to do this. They they changed the system a little bit. That's just an interesting thing I wanted to say. Yeah, no, that is a good thing. Have you ever been part of a project where you did the project and maybe were, I don't know, in the process of writing something, but you thought, oh, this really isn't publishable work. Mm. Like this is really isn't worthy of being published. Has that ever happened? Or like, is it all, or maybe you felt that, but it's like, nah, we can't really, we kind of have to publish it because, you know, it's all the work that goes into it, right? It's sort of mm. a... Um, sunk cost fallacy, right? Yeah, yeah, I understand. I don't think that has ever happened where I had to publish something that I really felt um, like wasn't a good enough contribution. Mm. Um, I I do remember just after the start of the replication crisis um, that I realized that we had a set of studies which we actually invested a lot of time in. Mm But let's say pre two thousand ten, yeah, way uh-huh. way of working time, <laughs> yeah, and um and there the goal that's also interesting. So sometimes these attractive journals really make people work harder, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in a team as one of the co-authors. It wasn't my project, but I was helping along. But the person sort of responsible for the project said, "I really want to get into one of those journals. So I want to mm. do a line of studies. I'm going to do four or five studies here, right?" Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then when I started to learn about all this stuff about inflating right. error rates and stuff, we I we had this set of studies, and I said, "Yeah, sorry, people, I'm I'm very sorry." But now that I understand this, and I had studied these things for uh, like a couple of months by then, I'm like, "Yeah, this is exactly the problem. What we've done here is exactly the problem." So I'm sorry, I can't. Even though we spent maybe a year and a half or something uh, on this, I don't feel comfortable submitting this. And then um, my collaborators were like silent for two months or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then they and then they emailed back and they said, "Yeah, yeah, we sort of get it. We also discuss it and we kind of agree." So that never, that was never, never published. So wow. no, no, huh. nobody uh, thought it was worthwhile. So yeah, you know. Oh, that's a yeah, good. So it does happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. In that case, I mean, it's the only thing I can imagine. But normally, I try to design studies that are interesting enough that will yield some interesting data, and I think. Yeah. Um, I I don't really do those studies that are super dependent on finding a result or not. You know, Mm. Mm -hmm. it's not really the thing I do most of the time. Yeah. No, that's great. But do you think that the fact that the the discipline or like science in general seems so focused on publishing, that that seems to be the goal. Mm. Um, Is it something we should be trying to get away from? Or do you think that this itch to publish 
if mm. channeled appropriately, is fine. Mm. Like we could try to improve the system to where, yeah, it's still the goal getting published, but we try to mm. make it, you know, we try to design a system where we're using that itch, you know, to the best, um, to the betterment of science and the world. Or, or do you think it's something we should try to mitigate? Yeah, personally, so. I, I really remember this quote by this colleague of mine who said, you know, it's what what matters is if it's if you can do it in any better way and not is it publishable. So that mm -hmm. was like a formative thing when I was a postdoc. I thought, hey, wait, this is an interesting way to think about it. And I do agree with that in general. Right. So so I think it would be good to change it in that sense that publication is not the goal, but contributing a knowledge unit. Mm -hmm. I also think the knowledge units don't have to be groundbreaking mm, discoveries. Mm -hmm. They can be tiny things. Right. As long as you're clear about what your knowledge unit is and you think some other people will be interested in it. I think we don't want to limit people to one paper a year. They can publish two or three small <laughs> knowledge units. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I do get the second point we discussed that, you know, you get a lot of papers out there, but I would prefer to have some other way to integrate literature. One thing that has happened in the 70s is meta-analyses. Mm. Those are an integration tool that we figured out and, and that those are published a lot. So that's one way. I mean, I'm not saying they're the perfect solution for everything, but you yeah. know. Some people nice think intent. that they're awful. Yeah, I've heard so many criticisms against meta-analyses. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think we can do better. So they're not sufficient right. to integrate, but at least it is a tool. It's an example of something that didn't exist before. It exists now. And, you know, um, scientists are creative. So who knows what they will come up with? Yeah, uh, I definitely think there's room for, you know, we of course have narrative reviews, right. those exist, Yeah, you know, but we, we still have a bit of a problem that if you read a single paper, we don't even know if there have been previous replications, let alone how it relates conceptually on, on some levels to other papers. So uh, the integration part is just a very big challenge. And I'm skeptical that we'll solve it just by publishing less. I really think we need more rigorous things to solve that second part. Maybe publishing a little less. I see you look like, well, Daniel, well, a little less. Okay, a little less. A li no, but not just a little less. The thing is, if you're publishing less, then hopefully you're also paying more attention to other things mm. that other people are doing or things that have happened before. And I do think mm -hmm. that can aid in this integration, right? That like, so yeah. there are definitely, I mean, you know, like I pay a little bit of attention to, for example, psychometrics and, you know, mm -hmm. these things. And you do start to see, or like, you know, causal inference right there's, th there's things mm -hmm. that come up over and over under different names and mm -hmm. it does like if you're paying more attention to other disciplines or older research then i think those links be become a little bit clearer which i think can aid in in knowledge you know generation and knowledge integration it can aid but we we might come up with some other things i i would be a fan for example of communities coming together every now and then and discussing their work with each other and other scientific disciplines do this they come together, they say, hey, where are we all? What have we been doing? Uh -huh. Are we using the same measures? Is there coordination? Can we mm. actually integrate stuff and compare directly? If not, how do we do it? Mm. Um, we don't have anything like that in most psychology fields. But if we would have that, the integration is also facilitated. But would you, would you, I mean, so for example, if you, if you're in a subdiscipline, wouldn't you say like the sort of biggest conference for that subdiscipline is sort of like the avenue for that kind of you know, like for yeah. social psychology, be like SPSB, right? No, I mean, for... that's way too big. That's way too big. So much stuff. <laughs> and not everybody goes there. No, I'm really that's talking true. about, you know, um, a better comparison would be you live in an apartment building with 40 people. 
Uh-huh. And you have you have a meeting with all the people living in the building, <laughs> and you make some decisions about okay, are we spending some money on to fix the roof or the elevators or where uh, are we going uh-huh. here? Yeah, you know, like that. And I I feel that's very rare, where like all forty people in a certain specific field come together and just discuss what are we doing for the next four years and mm. what have we been doing and let's integrate, let's compare. I think that's rare. But but what level are we talking then? So not social psychology, then what would it be? Like how? Well, uh, maybe the community of people interested in uh, studying how the perception of students is impacted by (laughs) stuff their teacher does in the classroom. Or I don't know, some sort of, you know. (laughs) But it would be relatively small. I think, you know, you can't. You can't discuss things with uh, 5,000 people or with uh, 500 even. It's probably too much. Right. Uh, previously, we discussed how many things are limited by our cognitive resources. Right. This seems to be one of those other things. Uh, we have to integrate different research lines. How many can you integrate? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. probably, you know, a bit smaller than that. But uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think getting people together, I mean, it's a great idea. I think you've mentioned this in the past as well of like, just trying to f- mm-hmm. get people together and figure out, yeah, what are the important issues that we should be working on um, yeah. in this subdiscipline? And that seems like such an important, and I think you're totally right. It's it's missing, but it's very mm-hmm. important if we need to move forward to, you know, work with other people and see, oh yeah, what, what are some things that we need um, in order to move forward and then working towards that in, in a more sort yeah. of... Yeah, systematic way. I, I would prefer those kind of, to try out those kind of solutions first mm. before we say you can now only publish one paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nullius in Verba. Our theme song is Newton's Cradle by Grand Brothers. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or comments you'd like to share, you can reach us over email at nulliusinverbapod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at Mastodon or Twitter. In today's episode, we discuss the itch to publish, the various reasons for its existence, how it affects the consumption and integration of scientific knowledge, and whether publishing a lot is beneficial or detrimental to science. In the next episode, we will continue discussing a point raised in today's episode about the role of consensus in science. Is it important for scientists to come together and reach consensus about the important issues in their respective fields? And more crucially, is it possible? We hope you will join us.